Well, Happy New Year. I hope you had an incredible Christmas and the first few hours of your new year are, you know, going well right now. Uh, well, welcome into my home where uh, the fire's going and football is going to be on soon. May 2023 be your best year yet. Considering it's New Year's and there's always lots of things starting around, you know, the beginning of the year, have you ever been tempted when you started something new to revert back to your old ways? In life, when we begin something new, be it a, a new workout routine, a new diet, some new habits, maybe even new relationships, there's constantly the temptation to push and squeeze the totally new into the old and the familiar ways. As we prepare to enter into a new year, many of you may have some New Year's resolutions even. Consider what it means to live a new life. Whether you're at home, the beach, or watching down the road, there are many of you who received new life in Christ. Some of you are here exploring faith, and I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today, we're going to be looking at the New Testament book of Colossians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. We discover that in the once important center of Colossae, the church was being drained of power by a heresy, a false teaching, if you will, that threatened the peace and the purity of the Colossian church. There was a, a group of men who claimed advanced knowledge or what's called Gnosticism, but were attempting to fit Christianity into an old and empty philosophic system. This is what Paul's addressing in this letter. He's trying to keep the believers in the church from forgetting what a new life in Christ was like. What's unique here is about this letter is that Paul had never actually been to the church in Colossae. He had only heard of them from Epaphras who had started the church. He only knew of them and he knew about their character because of the reports of others. They had a good reputation. Today I want to share with you the importance of a good reputation. A good reputation and, and what that looks like. No matter if you followed Jesus your entire life or you started last year or you're beginning a relationship with Jesus, maybe it's next week. What I'm going to share with you are things that should be reflective of your life with Jesus. If you've got a Bible or maybe a smart device that you're watching on today, you can make your way to Colossians chapter 1. And, and as you're making your way there, let me tell you about a letter that was received by the post office years ago. There was a man who worked for the post office whose job was to process all of the mail that had the illegible addresses, those you know that uh, struggled to be read easily. Well, one day a letter came addressed in a shaky handwriting to God with no actual address. He thought he should open it to see what it was, and this is what the letter read. It said, Dear God, I am an 83-year-old widow living on a small pension. Yesterday, someone stole my purse. It had $100 in it, which was all the money I had until my next pension payment. Next Sunday is Christmas, and I had invited two of my friends over for dinner. Without that money, 
I have nothing to buy. No food, no family to turn to. You are my only hope. Can you please help me? Sincerely, Edna. The postal worker was so touched. He showed the letter to all the other workers. Each one dug into his or her wallet and came up with a few bucks. By the time this postal worker had made the rounds, he had collected $96, which they put into an envelope and sent back to the woman. The rest of the day, all the workers, they felt this warm glow, thinking of Edna and the dinner she was going to be able to share with her friends. Well, Christmas came and went. A few days later, another letter came from the same old lady addressed to God. All the workers gathered around while the letter was opened. The letter read, Dear God, how can I ever thank you enough for what you did for me? Because of your gift of love, I was able to fix a glorious dinner for my friends. We had a very nice day and I told my friends of your wonderful gift. By the way, I was missing $4. I think it might have been those jerks at the post office. <laughs> Sincerely, Edna. <laughs> the post office apparently had a bad reputation. All of those people who had developed bad reputations at work or maybe in your friend circles, there's always someone who is the, sorry, I'm late again. The person who's the know-it-all. Uh, the lazy one, the negative Nancy. There's lots of things about people who have bad reputations. But what about those with good reputations? You know, the team player, the hard worker, the self-starter, the encourager. The reality is it's harder to build a good reputation than to destroy one. A reputation is a little like fire. It's easy to keep a fire going. What you do to it, there's not much that you have to do once it's going. You work to get it started and then it pretty much burns on its own. You may have to protect it, maybe do a little maintenance on it, but the fire is kind of automatic once you get it moving. But if the fire gets snuffed out, you've got a problem. You needed that flame and, and you're suddenly looking around for a lighter, for a match, something to get it going again. You see, a, a good name is the same way. Once it's earned, it's really easy to preserve. But if it's blown out, it's a lot of work to restart it again. In other words, if you want to have a good name, you have to stay away from the landmines that snuff out a good name. Dishonesty. Not being a good listener being two-faced, being unreliable, a lack of discipline, those things that, that people do to erode a good reputation, they're all like landmines to a good name. Building a good reputation, it requires effort, it requires patience, it requires time. And destroying a good reputation only requires a single moment's misstep. The secret to building a good reputation is become a person who deserves one. Take consistent action that embodies the characteristics you want others to associate with you. Don't just mouth the cliches of, of hard work, uh, of attention to detail, of loyalty and drive. Live them, live them out. In fact, don't mouth them at all. Let others discover them in you. 
In his letter to the Colossians, Paul, he hears of the good reputation of the people and thanks God for them. Look at his greeting in Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. He says, To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you had for all of God's people. Verse 5 says, The faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up from you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. You see, these four verses, they contain the trilogy of virtues, if you will. The trilogy of faith, hope, and love. Listen to what one Bible scholar said about these virtues. He said, faith is the soul looking upward to God. Love looks outward toward others and hope looks forward to the future. Faith, it rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present and hope anticipates the future. Faith and love, they spring from, they're they're literally on account of hope. Confidence in what God will do in the future. This confidence led to a greater trust in God and a deeper love for others. This confident expectation of Christ's return called the blessed hope influences believers' conduct. As we talk about a good reputation today and what that looks like, don't forget the people Paul is is addressing this letter to are just like you and me. They're facing challenges in life, even as simple as going back to their old life, being pressured by their peers, fighting for truth as they live their new life in Christ. A reputation is a fragile thing. It requires constant feeding. Consistency is crucial. If you live your your life and you live up to your good reputation 99% of the time, but you fail to do so that 1% of the time, you risk incredible damage if the person you let down is highly influential in your life. A good reputation, it shouldn't be an end in itself, but rather it it should be a, a, a natural outgrowth of your striving to be the person you most want to be. I would add that it's striving to be more than just the person you most want to be, but it's striving to be the person that God most wants you to be. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. You want to have a good reputation with God and man? Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Paul, he, he opened his letter calling the people of Colossae, calling of them, he called them faithful brothers and sisters. What does it mean, though, to, to be faithful? It's a word that many people understand, uh, even use, but what does it look like? It's been said that faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness is something that isn't easy. It's not the norm in society today, right? If we're, if we're being honest. Faithfulness is becoming a rarity today. I mean, the diets, there's exercise plans. We can't even finish a book. Following through on, on what you said you would do. 
This has been a topic of conversation at family gatherings for us from time to time. You see, uh, my mom and, and my stepdad and Audrey and I, we have these conversations and and Bob and I, my stepdad and I, we forget things from time to time. And well, this specific time there, I forgot to pull dinner out of the freezer two times in two weeks. And I'm only home by myself one day a week. Fridays is the only day. And I failed at the one job I had. Faithfulness, it, it, isn't, it isn't easy. It isn't flashy either. Faithfulness is the, the small little things you do when there's nobody around to see what you're doing. Faithfulness is acting on what you know to be true and right on the days when you just don't feel like it. You know those days, right? We've all been there before. The days when you don't feel like it, you have to choose to be faithful. That's, what you need. That's what's unique about faithfulness. Faithfulness is an easy choice. It's easy to choose to be faithful when life is good and things are going well. But can you be faithful when things aren't going well and you're facing a trial? Oswald Chambers, he wrote this. He said, it's only a faithful person who truly believes that God is sovereignly controls or God sovereignly controls his circumstances. He says, we take our circumstances for granted saying God is in control, but not really believing it. He says, we act as if the things that happen were completely controlled by people. To be faithful in every circumstance means that we have only one loyalty or object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. God may cause our circumstances to, to suddenly fall apart, which may bring the realization of our unfaithfulness to him for not recognizing that he had ordained the whole situation. We never saw what he was trying to accomplish and, and that exact event will never be repeated in our life. And this is where the test of our faithfulness comes. If we would just learn to worship God, even in the difficult circumstances, he will change them for the better very quickly if he chooses to do so. Being faithful to Jesus Christ is the most difficult thing we try to do today. And that's why James the brother of Jesus, he writes this in James chapter 1, verse 12. He says, If your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of the life promised to every lover of God. I love that. True happiness comes when you pass the test with faith. Yet being faithful to Jesus is the most difficult thing for people, as Oswald Chambers wrote. That's why you have to choose to be faithful. You have to choose to read your Bible. You have to choose to serve at church. You have to choose your spouse, your future spouse. That means no messing around. You have to choose to produce your best at work. Not just phone it in. To have a good reputation with God, you have to choose to be faithful. And faithfulness requires faith. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 11, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. 
The second part of having a good reputation with God and man is this. It's simply to love God's people. Love God's people. Part of the good reputation of the Colossian church was their love they have for all God's people, as Paul wrote. Other translations of this verse say the love they have for the saints. There's a general love that should be given to all men, yes, but Paul talks about a special love for those who are believers. The love that Paul is writing about in his letter to the Colossians is the Greek word agape, which is a general word for affection and warm regard. The New Testament uses the word to describe compassion for other people, love for God or Christ, and the love God and Christ have for humanity and for each other. You see, the gospel message makes this love more of a mindset than a feeling. It involves putting the needs and the interests of others before your own and enduring suffering and hardship for the sake of others. You guys, love is hard. It takes work. It's selfless. Love, it cares for. Love, it sacrifices. Love serves. I think one of the greatest ways to have a good reputation and to love God. love God's people is to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. You can serve God's people in the church or across the world on a missions trip. Hebrews 6.10, it says, For God, the faithful one, is not unfair. How can he forget the work you have done for him? He remembers the love you demonstrate as you continually serve his beloved ones for the glory of his name. The love you show to God's people, the ways you serve, they aren't forgotten. There was one act of service that still is remembered almost 2,000 years later. The love and the service that Jesus showed when he sacrificially went to the cross for you and for me. The reason we love others is because God first loved us. When Jesus went to the cross, he gave hope. The reason people of the, the people of Colossae were able to remain faithful and love God's people was because of this confident hope they had of heaven. The third thing that you need to do to have a good reputation is to carry a confident hope of heaven. Carry a confident hope of heaven. Look at verse 5. It says, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Faith and love spring from hope. Hope is foundational to a relationship with Jesus. Hope is the anchor that holds you in the middle of a storm. Hope is what keeps you going when you didn't get what you wanted, when you didn't get into the school you wanted. It's what keeps you going when the loan falls through. It's what keeps you going when you're still searching for a spouse, when the cancer comes back, when a loved one passes away. Hope is what keeps a Christian going. Even whatever it is that's causing you challenge is, is, is raging around you. You see, hope is a confident expectation. It's not just wishful thinking. That's what the meaning of the word hope Paul uses here is when it's translated. He's saying to the Colossians, he's saying to you and I, you can have hope because of your faith in and because of your union with Christ. One scholar writes this, 
They say this means they are free from corruption and death and are qualified to participate in Christ's life, resurrection, and glory. Paul reminds them that their their hope of a glorious future does not come from religious philosophy, but it comes from God. Therefore, they don't need to accept the demands of the false teachers that are proclaiming these heresies around them. And the same is true for anyone who's given their life to Jesus. This hope, it's available to them too. In his letter to the Romans, Paul, he says this in Romans 8.24. He says, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. You see, if you've given your life to Jesus, then there is hope. Not a wishful thinking hope. But there is a confident expectation that you will receive heaven. When Paul writes that hope will be stored up for you in heaven, he's saying here it's it's out of danger. There's no fear of it being lost. So we can have confidence in it. And because of this hope in heaven, as a believer, you don't have to worry anymore. This hope is what gets us through the hard times. It's what gets us through the bad times. This hope gets us through the trials, the fears that we have in life. But it's a choice. Just like you have to choose if you will remain faithful, you have to choose to carry this confident hope. Everything Paul commends the Colossian church, it's a verb. It's an action word. He says, faithful, love, hope. For each of these to happen, for the action to happen, there has to be a choice. There has to be a decision, something to do to make these things happen. To have a good reputation before God, there has to be a a confident hope of heaven. When there's a, a hope of heaven, joy is sure to follow. Joy because no matter how hard it gets here, there is always a hope of heaven. 1 Peter 1.13 says, So prepare your minds for service and have self-control. All of your hope should be for the gift of grace that will be yours when Jesus Christ is shown to you. Preparing your minds for service is loving God's people. It's self, self-control is remaining faithful when everyone else is telling you to do something different. And the hope we have for the gift of grace, that salvation through Jesus, when he went to the cross and carried our sins to the cross and gave us the opportunity to even have a hope for heaven. Check out what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. In verse 19, it says, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from death has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. New life is given to those who belong to Christ. This is good news, you guys. This is the good news that Jesus was crucified and raised to life so that we could live with him forever in heaven. 
2 Timothy, a book in the Bible, says that he broke the power of death and he illuminated the way to life and immorality through the good news. This is victory. This is power over death. Jesus lit the path to eternal life. It's victory over whatever burden you're carrying, over whatever trial you're facing, whatever storm is blowing around. He already won the battle. He already fought the fight and he already delivered you from destruction. There is already victory over any situation you're currently facing, any situation you're going to face, and any situation you're worried about facing. He has already won. And that's why those of us who already believe in Jesus can have faith. You see, doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers, I. Remain faithful. Love God's people. And if you love Jesus, you had better carry a confident hope of heaven because Jesus is there waiting for you. Would someone say that these qualities define you? How come? I think it's better to have a reputation in heaven than it is to have one on earth. Would you bow and pray with me as we wrap up today?